Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Welcome to the Beardy and the Beast Media Club, a media discussion where we enjoy any and all spoilers. Unlike some forest spirits, we'll keep our head when the plot is revealed. We are available here and on many other services with a full list available at beardyandthebeast.com. Give us a share, a like, but most importantly, join the discussion in the comments. My name is Drew, and with us, of course, is our very own Mononoke Hime, Devin. I am the prettiest princess. Today we'll be discussing the English release of 1997's Studio Ghibli's tale, Princess Mononoke. So Devin, was this film a wolf, or did you find it a boar? <laughs> I, you know, I, I think, much like the movie, it treads the line. I, I enjoy this movie. I can, I think, I could see some people seeing it going a bit long, but I don't get that impression. Mm. Apparently, that's something that the actual like Miyazaki actually said at like one of the film festivals. Mm. <laughs> like, he knew what he was doing. Um. <clears throat> yeah, remember he said something about like throwing away some forms of traditional storytelling, mm-hmm. and then ended up with like a two hour some odd long movie which is i mean standard fare nowadays well i believe this was the longest animated movie until princess kaguya hmm. <laughs> i think princess kaguya is like a couple minutes longer than this one if i remember correctly oh you know i think i remember you saying saying that yeah. you're discussing yeah. uh princess kaguya uh yeah. it didn't feel long at all to me no, not at all yeah I mean, it certainly felt incoherent in places with <laughs> random plot points just sticking in there for no reason. But overall, pretty all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm going to jump on that hook right away. Random plot points, you say? Ran- random plot po- Oh, we're going to go there <laughs> yeah. right now? I don't know. It's there. It's something I could easily see as forgetting. So I'm just kind of curious what you're, what you, what you're saying for that. So the the romance subplot, thanks right. Studio Ghibli, out of nowhere and having no bearing on anything. I don't know if I complete because it... it's like oh I know that uh, Ashitaka loves you. Oh I know I I hate him anyways. I'm like what? He saw you twice. <laughs> he said three words to you. I mean, if you think about the Disney princesses. All it took was a kiss while they were sleeping. <laughs> yeah, but that's just some like weird, creepy, and weird Disney thing that. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know why the Disney princesses would end up marrying them. They're all like creepy and weird and liars. It's called they got the money in the palace. That's true. <laughs> so interesting thing with that that romantic subplot. I actually just read this. I know I just said this off camera. That probably not going to come up. <laughs> But it is. So Kaya is apparently um, Ashitaka's betrothed. And um, she was the person who voiced her in the Japanese version also voiced San. Kaya and San. Oh, weird. Yeah. That's a weird little tidbit. I just yeah. I just find it weird that like they they even threw in an Ashitaka... Uh, Ashitaka X Sen romance subplot into this because it didn't seem applicable or relevant to anything in the film, nor was there so, any development of it. So that's why I'm kind of like, just a random plot point that why? Yeah, it's like oh the the prince was the scarecrow the entire time. It's like this there nothing about this movie had anything to do with a prince. <laughs> He was a prince. <laughs> oh, no, I was talking about Hal's. Yeah, I know. It's just um, the, it's the Ghibli, it's that Ghibli thing that I just dislike yeah. so much. It's just like this, this random thing about it that doesn't seem... Well, I mean, some of that, again, I, I, I do wonder sometimes, again, if there's cultural aspects that are mm. there. This being, like, Ghibli's only period piece can also like one of their only period pieces well it being a, that well they being a period piece makes the whole like ashitaka kaya 
bit make more sense in the, on the Japanese side of things. Yeah. Where you were saying off recording that they were actually um, fiancés, that they, they had that form of what seemed like even like a prearranged uh, relationship or something along those lines. Where, mm. Whereas, of course, in the English version, his sister, which I guess, I mean, that changed not super relevant yeah. to the film. Like, it seemed to be the same thing anyways. Yeah. And I wonder if the that romance subplot you talked about, I don't... Maybe it's not so much a... Maybe it wasn't necessarily meant to be a subplot, but more to, again, show the characterization. So when you've got such a gray world, like morality wise, this entire film is mm. very gray. You know, he, he, Ashtaka comes in, like, even without saying anything, I mean, the God says, yeah, no, he would have dropped everything for you. I think it's just kind of shows that I think some of the overall themes and ideas of it be kind of, again, that merging of the human and the, the spirit worlds in a way mm. with, with two of the human characters. So it doesn't, so I think it's more that, at least that's how what I got out of it, um, as opposed to, as you said, it's not exactly a plot that's developed anywhere. I mean, they don't get together, but at the end either or anything like that. So, it, I mean, it's just the movie yeah. would have stood the exact same without it. Yeah. So yeah. how how relevant was it to the story at all? Yeah, is, no, that's it's kind of a a thought, mind you. If you removed it, it wouldn't make the movie any shorter. Not that it needed to be. Yeah, yeah. So I guess with that, we kind of like talked a little bit here about like the Japanese versus the English versions already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you had to ask me originally when this, this film came up on the list, wh- which one, which version should we watch? Yeah. Either the original Japanese or the English version. And I hadn't seen the English version. I know it has like this star studded cast mm-hmm. and was kind of like, that was one of its big selling points to the American market that it had uh, people like uh, Julian Anderson, Jada Pinkett Smith, Billy Bob Thornton, etc. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, yeah, Hey, English version, we'll do it. And I guess I'm as unimpressed as watching any dub. I, I'm not a super purist by any means. The reason why I like the subtitle subtitled and Japanese original versions of uh, Japanese animated stuff uh, compared to the English dubs is because the voices and the tones and the inflections and the emotions come through better in the Japanese version. I wouldn't use the word better myself. Um, I'd say you can get complete different characterization. I think of like near automata, the character to be um, the English version and the Japanese version make her seem like completely different characters. Mm. I think that's a good point. But I also, I also think when I watch something that was originally done in english mm-hmm. the the emotions that the characters are portraying seem to come through better mm. than like a, a potential dub in a different language yeah so i think just recasting i it, it was kind of clear to me for this film that the recasting of voices were more done based on name recognition I almost feel like they didn't go with the voice actors and actresses that would have suited the characters the best. So it's interesting because I come at this the opposite way. I haven't actually watched, I don't think I've watched the Japanese version. Mm. So. Even. <laughs> <laughs> or I may have, like, I may have, like, ages ago, but. I've yeah, mind you, like, yeah, I haven't watched this movie yeah. in, like, 20 years. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I know this was, like, a big thing for Ghibli. I think this is like the start of like the Disney Ghibli partnership and such, I think. Yeah, this the the Ghibli verse started with the success of yeah. this film. Yeah. Especially the English release. Like that that name power definitely helped extend the career. Yeah. Was it Miyazaki? Yeah, Miyazaki and it definitely Put a bunch of money into the coffers of Studio Ghibli and made it so we got to experience wonderful things like yeah. uh, the p- tale of Princess Kaguya. Yeah, oh, for sure. It's interesting because they did want to try to Disneyfy it and um, Miyazaki's like, nope. Oh, I saw a, th- a thing about this 
they wanted to like recut it and cut it down and yeah. Miyazaki sent a katana with no cuts engraved to the production office yeah. <laughs> and he was so disappointed what was done with Nausicaa <laughs> which is funny because I, I vaguely remember this must be a obviously it's the Mandela effect but I remember seeing something about Lassiter John Lassiter being the one f- fighting to keep it the same but I could not refine that information hmm. anywhere so now I'm not sure where I got that from, but I'd always had it in my head that John Laster was someone who fought to not change it. It well, I mean, um, it, it could have been a, de- a different film in the the line. yeah, it might have been, it might have been Spirited Away actually. Spirited Away, Kiki's, yeah, the house yeah. even. Yeah, that's true. But I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't confirm that. It was something I thought I saw. Um, it's interesting though. You you talk about the the voice acting for that because. This is one of, it's generally toted as one of the best dubs and the dub was so well received that they re-released the movie in Japan with the English voice actors and Japanese subtitles. That's it. I mean, sure. In 97. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I get that. Uh, yeah. Just it. I don't know. I, I didn't watch the dub originally and I don't think it held up. Yeah. That's it's fair. something that would have probably blown my mind in 97 and had i seen it i would have been very disappointed now instead of just you know madly disappointed sitting here going like i should have said the japanese version just hyper nerd yeah i <laughs> that being said like i did i i did enjoy revisiting the story uh, and all the plot points that i had completely forgot it wasn't so much so uh, like some of the other movies where I hadn't seen this movie in a long time and it was like I was watching it for the first time again. Yeah. This was more, I knew a bunch of stuff that happened and I was either reminded or I had that sense of deja vu because I had seen it before. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, and, and I don't know, it's one of those things that Ghibli does it in general very well. It's like, they could, again, it's just that... Like we talked about this a bit with Kaguya, it's just that fairy tale mm. aspect of the films, right? That can leave that lasting impression. You said you can go a decade without watching it, but you're not losing it when you go back and, mm. and watch it. So, though disappointed with like that sound aspect of this, the animation quality for something that's what 24 years old now, top notch yeah. still, top mm. notch still. If if it was smoother frame rate wise yeah. it would be even better than stuff coming out nowadays yeah there are some interesting things that i saw about the animation for this as well mm. apparently so apparently this was going to be miyazaki's last film originally and you know of course he came back and did spirited away and a bunch of other ones afterwards but apparently he like either drew or touched up about half the frames in it oh really yeah like eighty thousand out of 144 thousand or something like that jeez yeah Yeah. and um apparently it was the last animated film done on like the the old like plastic oh the cells animation yeah plastic animated cells which is really cool random factoids yeah they definitely like nowadays they definitely at least improved on the expediency of the process Mm -hmm. i mean there's definitely good looking stuff that's that comes out nowadays but just to throw like a random thing in if if this wasn't done by ghibli if it was done from a different studio the demon animals i bet you instead of that being animated it'd be like computer generated like 3d animated on to the characters so it yeah. would be that weird like focus breaking thing where you're on a obviously 2d background but it's like a 3d sprite yeah like i could see them doing that yeah i could i could easily see that too yeah and i i noticed that when the boar originally comes in and it had the demon snail snake things covering it i'm not even sure what those would be called but (laughs) the the infection i guess yeah this is my first thought i had was if they did this nowadays that would be 3d and i'd be upset yep (laughs) (laughs) unless they have that like 
the first scene would just I could see that throwing you right out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just pull you right out of it. And it's it's not even that that infection was super high quality. In fact, those moving things individually on them seemed low quality animation compared to the rest of the uh film. Mm-hmm. But stylistically, I I don't think they could have done it any other way. Yeah. Like it had to be different than the environment. Well, yeah, I think it being different than the environment like that too, it just goes and shows said the infection, mm-hmm. right? The fact that it stands out without being the, oh God, why'd you do this in CG? <laughs> so, um, so um, I just kind of want to, finish up just on like the the voice acting and translations and such like that here a little bit so what did did you notice anything different with like the or you might not even remember enough but like just the way the story was was done the japanese versus the english or no i couldn't it's been long enough that i couldn't compare them yeah so there is always that potential that like the story itself doesn't hold up but mm. Uh, I am giving Ghibli, even though it's love-hate relationship I have with them, that it does, and it's this release that's a problem for me. Yeah. I'm kind of giving them that benefit of the doubt. Hmm. I know um, Neil Gaiman apparently is the one who did the translation. And yeah, the, well, the, the, the rewrite and reconfigure, yeah. I guess, would be the best way. Adap- yeah. adaptation there yeah which that that was kind of interesting i saw something where uh, tarantino was originally approached and went uh no but referred them to neil gaiman which <laughs> mm-hmm. is probably for the best yep that's I, I, I think this say. was be a very different story if it was tarantino's <laughs> flipping princess mononoke just yeah. like three minutes of princess mononoke or I guess sound, uh, feet shots. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I think, so the, the little bits of know, like Neil Gaiman would be exactly who I would want to do an English version of any Ghibli film because it's his wheelhouse. He's very much those fairy tale-ish style mm. writing, right? Like you think of Sandman or Stardust or Mirror Mask, any, any of those things, American Gods, right? He's very much, yeah, like know, the F- the oddball fairy tales, but aren't grim. Yeah, or their own thing. Yeah, and apparently, like the like the only changes he made was like little things to make localization a little bit easier, mm-hmm. right? Like calling them like calling the forest spirits forest spirits, or or calling them gods instead of kami, right? Because there's slight. Like calling them gods and demons versus, um, I can't remember what the Japanese version, but they're much more similar words. It's like god and cursed god. Mm. Right, right. So those were the types of localizations he did, trying to keep it as similar as this. And I think there was like a little bit of narration that was added. And it was just because I forgot to turn up the subtitles when I first turned it on, <laughs> when I first started watching it. It was like there was subtitle, or there was narration right at the beginning but it was talking about you know here's the forest spirits and such like this which i think actually again kind of goes back to that uh kaguya discussion that we talked about previously where it needed to give that little bit of cultural information Mm. we're kind of familiar with that idea but i could see the general audience which especially they wanted to have this for not having a clue about the the forest spirits and all that stuff (laughs) You can definitely the the localization and the adaptation itself was done very well. The yeah. story as an individual would hold up for all audiences over here. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. probably why it did well. Yeah. But it's it's something about the character voice choices to me. You only know, only really like I would say maybe a Kodo that's Keith David, uh, Lady Eboshi, Mini Driver, and then, uh, who is it? Uh, Moro, Julian Anderson, mm-hmm. seem to be right to me. 
like seem to match the characters in the feel and two of those aren't even human <laughs> yeah well it's interesting what about um gonzo the monk monk or is that the monk i no, like the monk the guard uh, i meant the iboshi's guard the captain oh the 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 captain uh yeah it's okay I know, guy. Those those type of characters always kind of throw away to me. They always take me out of it, no matter where they are. I'm just yeah. like, okay, kind of like the the bumbling tropey character. There's always one yeah. of these. I just kind of ignore them. Yeah, I guess projected well. Yeah, the adaptation of that. They probably chose the right person for it. Yeah, but even then, not an important character by any means. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. It, it's interesting because. Um just looking at the list here in like the first 10 of the characters to see, I only see three voice actors in there and one of them was Kaya and additional voices. So, you know, not exactly <laughs> many lines, mm. right? Like the only voice actors that I see in here that are known for voice acting is John DiMaggio, which was the guard mm. and Keith David. Well, that's probably, it's probably why uh, John DiMaggio and Keith David didn't pull me out. Yeah. Because they were portraying it right. That's probably why I didn't even notice uh, DiMaggio. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> trigger, tr trigger that thing in my head that went, no, that's not right. Yeah. But I mean, San and Ashitaka just, no. Ashitaka I didn't like so much. Uh, I didn't have the same issue with San. I, I give... But I could see where you get that from. Yeah, it's... It has nothing to do with the actress. I just don't think the tone of the voice felt right for the character. The And it might have been a directing thing, like the way that they were asking her to deliver the lines. Uh, yeah. The delivery just didn't seem right to me. But, I mean, just Ashitaka was just... Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't as big a fan with his voice acting either. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't. I this is something that I that I always wonder about. We, we kind of talked about this. Like, generally, we do try to watch it in the original form. Mm -hmm. This was one of the odd ones that I knew we could go either way with. So, I always wonder how much of the voice acting stuff would be different if, because I, as I understand it, in Japan when they do their voice acting, they do it more like table reads and, and stage reads. So everyone is in the in the same in the booth. Mm recording so you get the opportunity to play off each other yeah and so and that is very much not the case over here so i i always wonder if just the difference in how voice recording is done if that would change the uh change how the stuff feels right make things know. feel a little more natural and such like that well i mean you you look at stuff take avatar for example mm -hmm. like originally done in english yeah the characters match they feel like they're playing off each other yeah whereas we're looking at this and something about it just doesn't feel right mm. something about it feels off i'm just wondering like what the focus focus was I, I might be able to figure it out by the time our discussion's over i might not <laughs> and it might be something i have to be pondered and it yeah. might be something i'll get um actually at, at a like a meet and greet or something but yeah i just I think you, I think you might have your finger on it. Mm -hmm. This one definitely would have benefited from a more collaborative uh, recording sessions. Yeah, there's one other possibility because we we both kind of said this. Both of us weren't Kudrips Ashtaka. There's something more in particular off with him, mm. and really, um, when when don't really ever see many of the other characters interact with each other and the ones that we do see interact with each other with others you also said you liked so like keith david and jillian anderson so i'm wondering if it's something with just um Kudrup. oh there's something with with him right just a theory just a thought i kind of right? i kind of like where you're going with that because i don't i didn't mind the character even though the character was every 30 seconds. My name is Ashutaka, and I plead to you, God. <laughs> 30 seconds ago, you were pleading to that other God, or you were begging that other God for something. And it's like, uh, 
I didn't mind the character though, but there was just yeah. something something off about it. And yeah, actually, yeah, no, that's interesting. I kind of like, I'm kind of going to play off that that pleading aspect that's there. Like, I, I understand that he's kind of stuck in the middle of everything that's happening. Like, in my mind, there's no good guys or bad guys in this film. Mm. It's it's just differing ideologies. No one is, no one's listening to each other, and stuff keeps escalating. And you just have him saying the same thing to all of these people, trying to just be that middle line, and just comes that little bit repetitive. So when you see... But it's the tone, like, I didn't see the emotion in the delivery. Yeah, yeah. And if you're missing that when you're trying to be that that middle middle line, it's not going to have the same impact. And can, I could see that throwing it off a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'll, have to, I'll definitely have to think about it. Because yeah. I've seen him in other stuff before, and it didn't it didn't bother me. So it must have just been this project. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, the only scenes that I would I really felt that the delivery seemed good is when he went to help the iron workers, the girls with the uh, air pump. Yeah, and at the beginning when talking to Kaya. Yeah, like those. This seemed to be on point, but then the rest was the exact same intensity mm-hmm. and the exact same tones, like highs throughout yeah. the entire movie. And I was just like, uh. So it might have been something that was pulling me up. Yeah. So I think what... apparently uh, Leonardo DiCaprio could have possibly been him instead. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm I... not sure. I mean, you never know. Yeah. It's, it's just not a part that I see him in yeah but i'm sure he'd do fine yeah. i don't mind him as an actor like he does a good job usually so um, yeah <laughs> it's probably a crime that he was snubbed so many times <laughs> yep yeah it's fine as far as the voice actors and actresses go i don't really have much more to say now you mentioned that like the characters just weren't listening to each other which mm-hmm. of course was true they definitely understood the motivations of each other, but because of their position, they had to continue act- acting and escalating in the same way that they were. Yeah. Um, this doesn't hit the, this is how I live now feeling that I I've complained about in the past where uh, the entire plot could have been ended just by two characters, like actually having a conversation. Yeah. Because in this movie, even if they had a conversation, they still would have had to continue going in that same direction. Yeah, it was... It's because it wasn't just... Probably going to do a lot of Kaguya references in this here. (laughs) We're going with this. Um, So, like, in Kaguya, if the father and Kaguya actually sat down and talked, you know, he might have gone, like, oh, this isn't what's making you happy. Let's change this. Yeah. Where, right, where it was very much a... I think I'm doing what's right, and he thinks he knows what he's doing is right, and never bothered to check. Yeah, and then, Whereas, yeah, and on right. her side, uh, she was experiencing that sorrow, but wouldn't say anything, which would have yeah cha- changed the mind completely. It's like that yeah. kind of two-edged sword. Yeah. Whereas this one here is very much San and Morrow. They what they're doing is right and what they need to do to protect the forest but what eboshi is doing is also right and what she needs to do to protect her people and right, what the so boars it, are doing <laughs> are you know to protect their their people and their kind yeah yeah it, it's no one was wrong no one was the the only character that in, in the entire thing that i saw is wrong and that's very much an air quotes was um Jigo, the the monk. Right? Well, was he even a monk, or was he just pre- I, pretending I, to be? I, the monk-like character, let's go with that. He he was the only one who I could, in any way, shape, or form, call the, the, the villainous, and that's because he wasn't doing it for what was right or anything that. He was literally doing it for, I want the monies. Well, I mean, te- <laughs> technically, as a plot, I, w- I would definitely say he was the villain of the film. Yeah orchestrating the samurais against Iboshi to force Iboshi's hand to help hunt the 
or a spirit. Yeah. It's just the cheerful, his cheerful demeanor for the most part kind of yeah. throws you off a bit, but, yeah. and the fact that he was kind of like goofy looking and whatnot. Yeah. You know, kind of started out with, you know, being pretty helpful to Ashtaka. Mm. So it's, yeah, he, he'd be the only one that I would consider a villain, but you don't really have enough interaction for him to be a villain, mm-hmm. which I think is actually good, right? Yeah, sure, he was the manipulator, but his story wasn't directly important. Well, he was right? doing was, uh, he was that uh, pinch of salt. Yeah. Pinch of salt Paddle. enhancing, yeah, the the flavor of the little bits of cycles of hate and uh, cycles of conflict within the film. Yeah. So every everything he did would push it that little bit further and help escalate it a little bit more, purely for his own needs. To, yeah. To have essentially playing everyone as an antagonist to each other when mm-hmm. he himself was the true true villain. Yeah. The like Lady Lady Aboshi, you find out liberated the brothel girls was taking care of the lepers had revitalized that town that was being choked by the boar spirits there there was a whole lot of altruism there uh, i mean i don't appreciate the deforestation she definitely went a bit far but that's my own morality bit projected onto that yeah i definitely don't see her as a villain but from from her point of view those boars that won't let them, you know, get the iron so that they can sell the iron so that they can feed themselves would be an antagonist to her. Yeah. So she would have to uh, eliminate that threat to her people. Yeah. And the movie does really well at, at that. It's like, you can tell, like, you know exactly why San and Eboshi and the boars and, and the apes and see very clearly why they're all, in this, you know, romance of the three kingdoms type, yeah, <laughs> type battle, but you can't side with any of them. I mean, even we were talking about the the deforestation. Like, I don't think it didn't come across to me that her her motivation was to for deforestation. It was we need to keep doing this, or we're not going to be able to defend ourselves. Yeah, right. Well, like it wasn't. It was like two hillsides. It's not like the Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they, I mean the the most straight board motivations definitely came from like San and Mo, Moro, which is le- legitimately just protect the forest and the forest spirit. So it's interesting to say that because I, I agree with that being San's motivation, but not necessarily Moro's. Well, it was just because... like it was uh, a line that was said like that's what we're doing here. Yeah. If, like, I'll have you expand on the thought you're having right now. But, yeah. It was just something that they said, like, that's why we're here and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Because, as I say, like, Son definitely, it's all about just protecting the forest. Yeah. Moro, I felt, was more nuanced with it. Because if that's what it was, then she wouldn't have stood up against the apes and boars. Right? Where Son went and fought with the boars. Mm-hmm. Because cause she she understood that, right? Hmm. So so that, that's why I say I don't think... And, and you, you hear Moro, she, she's got a line in it specifically where she goes, it's like, my place is to protect the forest, but I also know that this can't last forever. Hmm. And if this is basically, it's like, if this is where it goes, I will die with the forest. It, it's... Well, she understands her place in the universe. And that's, I think that's yeah. why there's a whole lot of nuance there. Mm-hmm. more very wise as a character even though they didn't frame that wisdom like they didn't yeah. accentuate it and put it on display for the viewer knew her place in the forest knew her place relative to son as uh, a wolf mother yeah uh, knew her place in conflict with lady eboshi yeah yeah she was definitely okay to fight eboshi mm-hmm. but i couldn't have imagined moro going in going in and attacking Eboshi like San did. Sure, maybe let San get in there, but she's not going to go in there to have that fight. Mm-hmm. That being said, if she had the opportunity, she probably, well, I mean, you know she would. She was saving the last of her strength to bite that damn woman's head off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think right. that it's, 
Well, that's where the wisdom comes into play, weighing the upsides and downsides. She definitely could have used her strength to more directly attack. Yeah. Well, I guess she technically did, and that's what got her shot in the chest. She yeah. was she was okay. rushing Lady Eboshi at that time, but I think that was more a attack of opportunity while they were doing something. It's not like yeah. she burst into the fortress to attack Lady Eboshi. Yeah, exactly, and. Like, even the attack at the end, like, when, when she bites off her arm. Surprisingly, she doesn't go for the kill shot. I'm not sure if she was trying to go for a kill shot or not. It's always hard to tell, right? I she think just bites she off was. Her arm. Yeah. But even at that point, it was, she didn't go on the attack. She was literally there as the last line of defense. Which is interesting now that I think about it, because it's actually very similar to what you see with Ashtaka right at the beginning of the film. Literally just made this connection in my head. Because um, Ashtaka, when the Nago, I think was the, was the original boar, when he is attacking or going towards his village, he was defensive. He was just literally trying to calm the beast down and direct the beast away from it. And it wasn't until someone was under direct threat that he actually attacked mm. and had no problem doing it, right? So I think there's a little bit of parallel. Is The argument is... Um, Ashtaka is supposed to is essentially more of the pacifist type. I don't think pacifism is the right word. It's how I saw it described in a few places. Uh, I would say incompetent mediator. Um, I <laughs> I think I think the incompetent wasn't intentional. Mm. I, I think he was literally just trying to get people to sit down at the table, <laughs> just stop the fighting. But you know, when I think pacifist in my head, I think someone who won't fight. <laughs> Is, this is probably just Gundam Wing messing with my interpretations of pacifism. But I, I think of someone who won't fight as someone knowing when to fight. That's why I don't quite like Ashitaka mm. being labeled as a pacifist because he's clearly capable. He just chooses not to or tries not to. And and I saw that very similarly with with Moro. So okay, yeah, I see. Inter- I kind of yeah. I kind of see yeah. what you mean. And, it might have even been one of the reasons why Moro and Ashitaka were had like a bit of conflict towards each other, because um, like s- similar archetypes, mm-hmm. always butt heads. Yeah, but even then, like I think that would be a stretch. Yeah, it's like there's a bit of isolationist with uh, the wolf spirits too, even though she's got a pack. You know, <laughs> that lone wolf still comes through some. <laughs> yeah, and protect her, and you know. Oh, I'm protecting my kid. I don't want her to be influenced by, was by it? what the humans are doing. <laughs> well, I mean, and that it, what the humans were doing would, from a like a wolf god point of view, like yeah, what the humans were doing to like the forest and the other animals would probably be considered perverse. Yeah. So I could understand her not wanting to be corrupted by it. Mm-hmm. Granted, her. Like, her influences definitely seem to feed into, like, the cycles of conflict and hate in the film. So, like, pushing San, like, San being very conflicted, almost saying things to reaffirm to herself. You know, I hate Ashitaka because uh, Ash- Ashitaka is a human and I hate all humans because I'm a, I'm a wolf. Telling, telling herself that to uh, reinforce the things that she's been taught and how she was raised. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, I wonder how much of that was... Like, of course, we don't obviously see her yeah, yeah. being taught, right? Because I don't necessarily think that that's something that Morrow would have taught. Like, I, I don't quite think I see that characterization. Morrow, like, especially near the end with the boars and such, it almost was more like she was trying to talk Sam out of going and fighting, but wasn't going to stop her. Mm. She didn't want the wolves involved with the boar attack and the... And when the apes were trying to talk about attacking. So, like, Moro was... Moro, in my mind, was very much trying to to judge a situation with eyes unclouded by hate. She was actually trying to do that. It was never a hateful thing for her. But when you see the apes, where they're going, they came across hateful. The boars definitely were. I don't think Son was, but I think Son was... Son, I think understood the importance of the forest 
without the wisdom that Morrow had behind it. Mm. So so that so she would jump into the fight, right? And even then, most of the times with the with with most of the fights, it wasn't Morrow. It was the Cubs. Yeah, but you you gotta wonder if like Sen is like that and the Cubs are like that. There has to be some some form of influence from the leader. Would I would I just it just seemed like Sen I honestly feel like Sen was feeding into these cycles of conflict because she didn't know her place in the world, because she didn't have that wisdom, as you said. Like, she was conflicted. She she definitely knows that she's a human, but she's also a wolf, per se, so... Yeah. Yeah, I I really do think it's some of that wisdom and experience, because let's step back and look at Moro for a second. So, she knows what the humans are doing are wrong. Mm. She will try to stop them... But for the most part, it seems to be more defensively. Mm. She's, as you said, she's not attacking the base, right? She's not attacking Iron Town. So, and even then, when she is in the conflict, other than the end, she wasn't leading that attack. She was there because her cubs were there. Mm. So, well, at the she end, she wasn't even I, she wasn't even part of the attack. She, she was like laying there, yeah. dead in the four spirits pond. Yeah. So she knows what the humans are doing but she's got the wisdom to not go through so the teachings to the cubs is yeah i know what the humans are doing are wrong but they don't have that wisdom yet to not act out on what they're doing it's Whereas just... again morrow bides her time she knows that Aboshi's coming to where the spirits are even though she's injured she knows she can save her strength to strike then and doesn't need to jump in the attack she knows where Aboshi's going to be yeah, the way way that it was laid out was so interesting to me. I mean, I know I'm repeating myself, but to see two factions completely at odds, feeling, I wouldn't even say feeling like, definitely in their own right, neither wrong, but neither wholly right, you know what I mean? Yeah. And ending yeah. up in that conflict, and for it to escalate like that. Yeah. Uh, Moro being so wise, yet still like w- wishing uh, some form of violence against Eboshi because of the things that Eboshi is doing, which are affecting the forest negatively. Whereas of course, Eboshi is doing that, all that uh, positively and altruistically for her people. Yeah. That, that juxtaposition of those two of like what is right and what is wrong. It was just, yeah. I think it was very well portray- portrayed in this film. Yeah. Oh, and then it's complex. <laughs> Running throughout the entire one, there was Ashitaka going, Oh, forest spirit, my name is Ashitaka, and I plead with you. <laughs> well, in it's it's interesting because, like, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of crazy with Ashitaka like that. But at the same time, you got to remember these forest spirits, we're calling them the forest spirits because that's what it is. But again, these are more akin to gods. Mm. So, you know, it's not like you see gods all the time <laughs> yeah so he's he's i think that's all he feels like he can do especially considering you know most of them don't talk to him half the time half the time he's interacting with them outside of like morrow morrow and the wolves is he's you know trying to literally stop them from destroying a town yeah right like like he literally is just needing to plead with them uh the forest spirit like the the main forest spirit that you know, doesn't say anything. The the boar is literally enraged and he's literally just trying to plead so he doesn't have to, you know, kill a kill a god, right? Or attack a god. And the other people that he would need to plead with, you know, he can talk to. He can actually literally just go and talk to Eboshi. Yeah, I'm still surprised he didn't walk <laughs> up to the front door. Oh lady Eboshi, my name is Ashitaka and I plead with you. <laughs> Sorry, it's no, a wait, tone. I actually, it's... I actually think he did that actually near the end when she was going to kill the forest spirit <laughs> or something very similar to that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and when he stopped uh, San and Lady Oboshi from fighting, and yeah. so, something about that character in this, and I think it has to do with the, the projection from the voice acting that just like threw me off. I wouldn't say it pulled me out of it, but I just felt it was goofy and out of place. I think. The, the other aspect to it with the character, not, not even talking about the voice acting, is he's that neutral. He's actually supposed to be that neutral mask. Mm. He, 
like well that's yeah without him as the character without him there as a character we wouldn't actually see the complexities of Eboshi and Moro and San and then because we literally have no interaction with them it'd just be weird cuts and you would lose the ambiguity of the film that's that's probably why it seems so out of place to me I think you're on you're in the right path with the neutral mask and uh, Ashitaka it does kind of be a problem when they set up a character that you're supposed to be able to project yourself upon, but like you're not able to do so. It's, yeah, it's kind of the the feeling I got from it was a like to that feeling when you're watching like a horror movie and you're like, "Don't go in that room. What do you do?" Yeah, like, yeah, similar to that. In a yeah. that's not what I do. I can't empathize or project onto this character yeah it's like i know i said neutral mask because it's it's the only trope that i can think of i think you're right though. That, that i'm almost looking for like a, a tangential trope because mm. i don't think we were necessarily meant to project onto him like you traditionally would with a with a neutral mask um, oh you're talking about no. um cabbage head the character where everything has to be uh, explained to in, or shown in some aspect so that the viewer can learn through them learning. Um, so in this case, he doesn't know about the Iron Town and he doesn't know about the gods, so his experiences are learning this so that the audience can also learn upon it. Almost. Yeah, I guess that, that can that can almost work. I think there's like, I think that's closer to, mm. what, to what I'm looking for. It's, it's, it's almost like that and the neutral mask, but he's, and narrator it's almost like he's a narrator without being a narrator okay he's there moving the story along so not again not quite in the way of needing to have everything explained direct we talked about this kind of in carol and tuesday actually so he's more like carol and tuesday okay he's the main character but he's not like he's the he's not the he's the yeah yeah he's the He's, kinda... He's the valley where all the winds are flowing around, not not being the wind itself. <laughs> I think was a something I like... you said. Oh, long. the yeah, the the uh, the valley analogy. Yeah, where uh, he's the valley, and the valley has you know trees and grass and a wind that blows through. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that's that's where I'm going with it. He's the Carolyn Tuesday or the Usagi or or Tenna, which of course is jarring when he's set up very much to be the come across as that protagonist and you know where you think the neutral mask so i wonder if that well what's probably mi mixing you up here is saying this about an animated film is kind of funny characters uh, in north american storytelling tend to be more one-dimensional mm. whereas in your neutral mac mask is definitely your neutral mask whereas characters in foreign storytelling can often have more complex traits yeah, because they're. I mean, I'm not saying we don't get that in North America. I'm just saying that a lot of our big office stuff is, you know, like this is your blonde bombshell, and this is your, you know, your dumb strong guy, and this is your nerdy guy, and like yeah. they're not any more complex than that. Yeah, where we could have uh, Ashitaka as both the neutral mask and the pseudo narrator, and uh, the cabbage head all built into one. Yeah. To essentially like build those tropes into a super trope. Yeah. I see what you're saying. And that's like, I do think my disconnect with Ashitaka was definitely the fact that they definitely did try to like neutral mask him, but like I failed to project. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's where I'm wondering if like, is it that that's just the, one of those things gets lost in translation. It's possible. Like, we, 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 we see the trope and go, Oh, this is the neutral mask. So that's how we, try to write that translation as opposed to the i'm calling the trope the valley as the opposed valley? to him being the valley the valley trope <laughs> nice okay right i like because, that because it's close it's close to valet yeah <laughs> and is something to move the vehicle along yeah anyways <laughs> yeah i could see that i and then of course some of the disconnect with the like the voice acting in it yeah, uh, this this one would probably merit a rewatch in the original release mm -hmm. to see how that projection is done. 
I think if I was able to connect with the Ashitaka character better, yeah, the film would feel more solid to me. Even with the weird, like, Ashitaka loves Sun for no reason, and I guess that's only the only real big thing that, like, Ghibli'd me. Yeah. What I, what I was kind of feeling during this film, when it started, is originally I was really wondering, because I, I had forgot a lot of the key points, I was... I got to that point, I'm like, oh, am I going to have to sit through two more hours about being lectured about the environment or something that, like, I'm keenly aware of already, um, yeah. but I'm watching this to escape from, and I'm, I'm almost happy it went to the other dark side of the real world about these cycles of, like, conflict and hate that everything's yeah. in through, and just, like, able to disconnect from that a little bit more. It's the way that the this, this spiral like you, you could map it, and it would definitely look like a spiral in the way that the story was laid out. Mm-hmm. But it kind of all the story kind of all seems to start with the way that the the humans treat each other. Mm-hmm. So the kingdom was antagonistic to Ashitaka's tribe, exterminated them, and forced them to the east. Yeah, and then of course abused and took from their people to the point where this small town became the iron uh, making town and then the downtrodden from society came together to bolster that town and become successful but that success impacted the environment they exterminate some boars the boar attacks ashitaka's village comes back and then it just cycles down and down and down and down and down to to the end point where it's like well we're we're cutting off the big the big god's head at this point, I'm just like, <laughs> jeepers, getting a little atten- intense, guys. The one scene that stuck out to me that almost seemed like it was going to break one of those chains, and of course it didn't, is when Ashitaka was laying on the ground and was it uh, Akoto was standing over him. And Ashitaka's like, no, I, I killed your kinsman. That was me. Like, can you stop this? Can you, like, you know, not attack? And, like, you had that moment where you're like, oh, is he going to see reason? Is this going to be that final thing that's going to, you know, stop the cycle that's occurring? And, of course, it didn't, but (laughs) that's the scene that kind of sticks with me. Mm. Just because it was almost the solution. It almost fixed the finger quotations things. People were... Akoto... One of the many that were on the offensive seemed to almost be taking that step back. Didn't end up managing do it to do so. Do so. But it's interesting that it was the beast, the beast that would be it. Lady Eboshi wasn't gonna. I mean, all right. So I've kind of got a, a couple points. I'm gonna try to hopefully remember them here. <laughs> so again, Eboshi. I think Eboshi could have stepped back. Eboshi also. Wait, Eboshi. Hmm? Akoto? No, no, because you mentioned Aboshi at the end there. Aboshi could have probably taken a step back because, again, she also didn't go on the offensive, much like Morrow. Mm. She was defensive in every way. Everyone was attacking her. So I don't think she was driven by the same motivations that the boars and the apes were. No, it's not her, her being on the yeah. offensive has nothing to do with her own personal motivations. Because of the pressure by Jigo. She's right. being, her hands being forced. She, her character would not have wanted to leave the village to cut off the spirit's head. It's yeah. because she had to. Yeah, that, that, that's what I mean by she could have possibly, possibly stepped back. Mm-hmm. But her hand was forced. Mm-hmm. It wasn't her doing it. Oh yeah, like I wasn't attacking her, like moral yeah. standing in the situation. Because again, I still think she has altruistic uh, intentions for the most part yeah uh, but i see what you what you mean yeah and then when it comes to okoto i think the reason why ashitaka couldn't have would have never been able to stop him even though even if there was that brief second because it wasn't about for the boars at that point it wasn't about the killing of nago yeah it, it was about i mean i don't even think they knew that nago was dead his new nagos changed to a demon and ran off so it was never about avenging nago even if he said it was that might have been his excuse for it mm. right so I see what you mean 
and and that's where you see that again that this cycles of hate and i think it's why you know even though the the iron shots are what seems to be the catalyst to turn uh, turn the gods into the demons is well it's a catalyst for something that's already there yeah it's a catalyst for something that's already there which i think is why you don't see it hitting morrow again because that catalyst is because that hate aspect isn't there it isn't building at the point where otako's there even though ashtaka kind of gets that hint of a second that was never the cause of his hate his hate was what the humans had done period not that naga was dead well i think like i agree with you except on the moral bit because they did explain that that was her wisdom that per- prevented her from turning like not yeah. not so much a lack of hate but more so a she had resigned to herself that she would die yeah and she wasn't going to hold on kind of like the american ghost american storytelling ghosts that hold on and won't transition end up going mad and becoming like poltergeists and things so kind of that kind of thought these gods who are have that catalyst are going to die but are refusing to do so would then become the cursed god or the demons in this case i think that's what that transition was about okay is the way i i just perceived it because of that line of her saying like i won't become a demon because i've resigned myself to die right but but it, it's when you know it's i think way back when let, let, let's talk about our past <laughs> so i remember you were living up north and i came out to visit you yes it was and... a dramatic time <laughs> yes it was a very dramatic time all my story short i was i got in an accident and i remember the way it played through my head was like it's just again that complete resignation to what was going to happen. It was brutal, <laughs> and yeah. even though I ended up being uninjured, I didn't think that was going to be the case. So it was literally no fear. It was calm because I was just resigned to it. Yeah, yeah. Now the second the second you're the second you don't have that certainty is when all of a sudden you can get more into the fearfulness, get more into the hatred of it. So moro's wisdom of her of her being resigned tempers that hatred yeah so you agree with the me. others didn't yeah <laughs> <laughs> might have been might have parsed how you said it slightly differently but but that's what i'm saying she wasn't hate like the hate wasn't there and again i don't think the hate was ever there because if it was i think she would have been more aggressive i think san had hate but i don't think moro did I think I think that's where our perception of the Moro character differs. Mm. I I think Moro definitely had the hate, but she was too wise to act upon it. But I definitely see it there. Yeah. Speaking of Okoto, though, <laughs> I just realized the other scene that really stuck uh, to me also involved Okoto. Okay. When he's heading towards the forest spirit and all those hunters in the boar skins come up, and oh he's just God. like. Yeah, my warriors, my warriors have returned from the dead for me. And I'm just like, oh my God. Like, it's one of the scenes that I remember from having watched this 20 years ago. I mean, that one pulls on you. Like, it's haunting. It pulls on you emotionally, pulls on you morally. There's so many different threads in your heart that are getting tugged in that scene. This is is kind of like Star Wars when Han dies. It's like in that movie, no one showed any emotional emotion. Except for yeah. the Wookiee when Han dies. The most emotional acting in the yeah. entire film. <laughs> so for me, I mean, it wasn't as bad in this. Like, obviously, like, Sen and Moro yeah. and, and Boshi, like, they definitely had complex feelings and emotional yeah. changes. But it's just me taking a shot at Star Wars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just the most, like, powerful scene as far as being attacked on all those aspects. Yeah. Well, well it earned it. Oh, it did. Right? And, and it didn't feel tacked on like, you know, a certain Solo's death. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was there. It was the culmination of Son trying to protect him and him being blind and already kind of in a blind rage and not... And he's already concerned that he's lost all his people and he's just so far gone that he couldn't listen to any type of reason couldn't trust anyone else around around him just had to believe that it was them raising from the dead and mm. 
like there was just so much layered there and it was it was, was very complex and yeah. very impactful yeah and i think as as far as i'm gonna i'm gonna say this separately from yeah. the original japanese release is that would have to be rated on its own with no localization, the original uh, voice actors and actresses. But I think that's probably those scenes with the Koto probably propped this up and saved a lot of the movie for me. Gave it that impact, gave it that those feelings. But even with that, I'd probably say I would give this movie five thousand seven hundred and thirty-two of ten thousand Kodama spirits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I think I ranked this a bit higher than you, and I've already forgotten the exact numbers you gave. So, uh, um, I'd probably give this here more around the go seven thousand seven thousand six hundred and forty-two <laughs> out of uh out of ten thousand Kadama spirits. Okay, <laughs> there's complexity in, in the film and it's one of those ones that this film would have been I don't think we would have been able to have the same type of discussion if this was a blind watch there like, even though it's been a long time since we've watched it like this is a film that you kind of have to watch you kind of multiple times because there's again just so much going on in a relatively simple story it's so easy to jump on like I said, just the environmental message, which I think if this was done today by an American studio or if Disney changed it, it probably would have been changed to the hurting the environment is bad. And that would have been the story. And yeah, they'd probably and, cut it. They'd probably cut out the lepers and cut out the, the brothel girls and just yeah. be it like me and old humans are attacking the spirits or attacking yeah. the forest. Yeah. Um, and I, I like the fact that it's refreshing that. This wasn't about that. This again goes back to the, it's about the balance. It's about the, it's about the cycles of hate and revenge. It just happens to be around. It just happens to be a environmentalist flavor to it, but mm. it's not about being an environmentalist film. True. <laughs> Which I really appreciate. It's, it's gray and it does it well. Well, that's where it excels at, being firmly within those gray areas from all sides. Yeah. You, you question the, like the, the morality of uh, San's original parents tossing her to the, the wolf spirit and then the wolf, uh, or so the wolf god and then the wolf god just going, okay, well, I'm going to raise it as my own then. And then flowing all the way through to what we discussed about Lady Eboshi's motivations in depth. And that's that's definitely where it excelled. And I think I, I could see this being such that if I were to watch this in the original Japanese version, I'd probably give it a closer score. But either way, I still recommend either version to a person. Obviously, if th those who like don't have a problem with things like subtitles, I would recommend going with the original Japanese release. And then those who are taken out of the film due to things like subtitles or just not wanting to read to watch a, a film. I wouldn't say a close second. I, I definitely feel that they're far apart, but there is a lot in this film that I think anyone that I recommend to it would find something to enjoy. Yeah, uh, this is definitely one of those movies that I say, like, this should be one of those must-watch movies. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and yeah. It's still, I... Uh, I fear rewatching Nausicaa because Nausicaa was, I wouldn't, back in, you know, back in the olden times, my junior high teacher, homeroom teacher, showed us Nausicaa out of the blue for no reason. I don't think it was my first interaction with uh, anime, but it was definitely one of the, my earlier interactions. This is ages ago. Uh, I was into anime way before it was cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Back when the nerds would make fun of us. Yep. And so it, it makes me, rewatching these Ghibli movies, 
I guess I hadn't seen Caglia before, but watching the Ghibli movies makes me worried for how I'm going to take in Nausicaa mm. because I like I have a fond memory of it and I'm really worried that it's not going to hold up. But I guess we'll see. Well, I'll say this that I don't I Nausicaa's one of those ones that I honestly can't remember if I've seen it or not. <laughs> Like there's several Ghibli films where it's like, I know I've seen you, but I don't re- quite remember you. So um, some people mix it up with uh, Mononoke. So <laughs> Mononoke, Mononoke and Nausicaa are the two darkest films from Ghibli. And for, uh, I was reading, I think Mononoke was actually meant to be a spiritual successor mm. to Nausicaa, which is and probably why people get them confused all the time. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Right? So I can say this with the, the Ghibli films that we've seen so far, and I know you're a little bit more hit and miss with with uh, the Ghibli films you've watched. A lot more hit um, and miss, maybe? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the aspects of the fairy tales that are there, I think I wouldn't be worried but going back to Nausicaa, because I really do feel these movies have a timeless mm. aspect to them. Uh, it's very much Ghibli's, it's what they're known for, right? It's that that timeless fairy tale without being a fairy tale, it, like the fairy tales that we're aware of. Uh, so I, I'm more interested to watch you as we continue doing the Ghibli series is see if it, if your opinions on some of the films end up changing for the better as we've gone through and kind of break down these story bits a little bit more <laughs> possibly i'm most yeah. mostly interested in seeing what happens when i tricked you into watching grave of the fireflies and i don't watch it and then we just never talk about grave of the fireflies again <laughs> just ball up and I, I know i haven't seen it but i from what i understand it'll essentially have me like balled up like a baby crying <laughs> Uh, I have seen it, and it was when I was quite young. Oh. So, I, I, I guess with that, this has been Beardy and the Beast Media Club. Join us and Ashley Good of the podcast Ready Set, where we discuss who framed Roger Rabbit next week. And of course, if you've had a good time, give us a like, a follow. Check us out at beardandthebeast.com. And, uh, of course, join the conversation in the comments or during our release premieres. <laughs> Again, my name is Drew. This is Devin, and we hope you have a wonderful day. Good one.